you're listening to a message from Kaleo Phoenix, a church plant in downtown Phoenix, Arizona, that creates space for people to practice the ways of Jesus together. Hey, it's me, Chris. Good to see you guys tonight. Welcome to Kaleo. A little breezy out here, but hey, thanks for toughing it out. Uh, hopefully it's worth it. Uh, you're joining us in the final Sunday of the season of Epiphany, which is a, is a pretty cool season because it's a season in which we emphasize this reality that God will reveal God's self to us. And of all the times that we gather during the week, I think there's something special about when we come together corporately anticipating that God will reveal God's self to us. And so fittingly, the final Sunday of the season of Epiphany finds us on the top of a mountain with Jesus, as Aaron has already alluded to, glowing white. And it's known as the transfiguration, which is just a fancy word for Jesus being transformed into this dazzling white, which we'll read about here in a moment. It's also a cool Sunday because what happens is this is kind of like this pause almost in the liturgical church calendar. We finish the season of Epiphany, and then we're about to begin the season of Advent. So we go up on this mountain, if you will, with Jesus, this revelation of Jesus, dazzling white before we traverse down into the wilderness with Jesus during the season of Lent. And so it's this moment to go, hold on. Who is this Jesus we're going to journey in the wilderness with? Do we know his identity? Do we know what he's like? Do we know what he has to say to us? Because we need to know that before we go into the season of reflection and fasting and self-denial and ultimately the death and resurrection that embody the end of the season of Lent. So with that in mind, Our story for tonight begins like this. Jesus is gathered with his disciples. They're walking down a road or a path. They're moving together. And they're kind of their own group as they move, ironically and maybe creepily, actually. There's a crowd following behind them as well. And as they're moving along, just Jesus and his disciples Together, Jesus begins to make it clear that he, the son of man, must suffer and be killed. And then only three days later, he'll rise again. And as that happens, they're still moving together, right? There's a crowd behind, they're moving, and Peter somehow gets Jesus off to the side as the crowd's moving. And he reprimands Jesus for saying such nonsense as that. Suffer and be killed, come on, Jesus. In that moment, As they kind of veer off from the group, Jesus, in fact, turns toward the rest of the disciples to expose Peter's claim because Peter's usually the one to say what everyone else was already thinking. And he directs his attention to them and he says to Peter in the presence of the disciples, one of his most famous sayings, get away from me, Satan, to his friend Peter. He says, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. And what's crazy is Jesus just starts involving everybody in this crazy thing because then he turns to the crowds that are creeping up behind him and he's like, hey, you realize if you're gonna follow me, you're gonna have to take up a cross. It's gonna cost you everything. You're gonna have to give it up to follow me. And they're all like, oh, that. And I want you to take special note of the words that Jesus uses with Peter and the rest of the disciples. Jesus desires his disciples to see things from God's point of view, 
So here we are in our passage for today, Mark 9, 2 through 9, right after this. Six days later, six days later, as in six days after what I just told you, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Woo! That's a good one, huh? Let's pray and see if it might have something for us. God, we just thank you for joining us this evening. You are already with us. And so we, we welcome you and we invite you to teach us. Have your way with us this evening, Lord. Open up our hearts to receive what it is you have for us. Give us eyes to see. And as you are gonna announce to us in this passage, help us to listen to Jesus. Give us ears to hear, God. We long for more of you, to know you more intimately, more deeply to grant us that prayer this evening. And God, would you give me your words to speak? I pray that I wouldn't say anything that's not from you or for you or honoring of you in our time together. We wanna to make much of you. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so this passage begins six days later. Jesus takes just three disciples, right? Peter, James, and John, and they go up high on a mountain to be alone. So first, I think the question that I ask when I encounter this is, which mountain? Because mountains seem super important throughout the story of Scripture. Which mountain is this? Well, here's the thing. We don't know. It's just a high one, apparently. Okay? But I want you to keep the thought in the back of your mind, why don't we know the name of this mountain? And I'll tie in the nameless mountain at the end, which is just a preacher trick to get you to keep listening or at least pay attention at the end. Next, we ask the question, why six days? Right, it's six days later, which is an interesting detail in the Gospel of Mark because throughout Mark's Gospel, what Mark usually says is immediately, 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 immediately. That's how he strings all the events together. But this event, six days later, for Mark, this is unusual. Yet here it is, six days after Peter's objection to a suffering Messiah. Perhaps Mark, the writer of this gospel, wants us to remember that on the sixth day, God created humanity. This coming revelation of Jesus Christ on this mountain that we're about to read about, perhaps it hearkens to the creation of becoming a new human, a new humanity, because this is what Jesus has come to do. The second Moses, the new prophet, and the new humanity is about to unfold with Jesus. I'm just going to try and stand like this so that it doesn't do that. So I want you to think now, okay, 
That's some good context, six days in a mountain. And I want you just to take hold of this image of these three men following Jesus up the mountain because shortly they will end up following Jesus back down. And that's important to remember because that is like the nature of what it means to follow after Jesus. There are certainly mountaintop moments and we long for those, right? But the life with Jesus is not just an elevation experience, right? We can't just be an elevation church, tongue in cheek, but whatever, right? Because the reality is there's also valley experiences and we know that all too well. For many of us, we've been living in a year long valley. So Jesus has to have something for us at the mountaintop to guide us through the valley. It goes on like this. They get to the top of the mountain, just the four of them. And as the men watched, so their eyes are open. Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Okay, it's nuts, and I'll just admit that up front, right? Like, we cannot probably fully fathom what's going on on this mountaintop. Jesus didn't show up there already all white, and this is just how they're describing it, right? He became this way. Essentially, Mark wants us to pay attention to that detail, and in trying to visualize such an encounter on the top of this mountain, it's just implied that no laundry service ever created could achieve such a whiteness as that. Just that. That's what they're trying to say, okay? Jesus probably had a dirty tunic, right? And so he goes up there and it's as white as ever. You couldn't get it that way. And so it is then that this transfiguration, this transformation that unfolds is not something that happened to Jesus. It's a revelation of who Jesus has always been. This is the reality of who Jesus has always been. He has always been the divine. They just didn't know it yet. That's what they're trying to name when they call him the Messiah. And he's like, well, here, this should help, right? Like it does the whole transfiguration thing. The epiphany, if you will, was manifested to them, the God who had been dwelling among them, and they realized it in that very moment. On top of that, we've got Moses and Elijah there, and it says they began talking with Jesus. Did you know that Moses and Elijah were dead? Right? It's crazy. So they're all three on the mountain talking, and this is a, a little bit of a deep dive, but the Greek tense of that word talking implies that a long conversation unfolded between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, which I find fascinating. What do you think they talked about? We don't really shout things out here, but hey, someday we could, okay? But what do you think they talked about? Here's what I think they talked about, all right? This is what they talked about. Luke tells us, actually. They talked about the Exodus. They talked about, of course they talked about the Exodus, right? The thing that God wanted to do for God's people all along is set them free to be with him. And they're talking about the Exodus because what's Jesus about to do? He's about to depart for Jerusalem. That's what he's been telling them all along. This is what I gotta go and do. My own Exodus, which isn't just for Jesus, it's for all of humanity, a new humanity, in fact, that the new Moses is telling us about. So just let that, let that soak into your mind for a moment, okay? 
Because I think sometimes we can like dig around in these passages too much and you didn't crawl up on that mountain with Jesus, see it all unfold. You're like, Moses and Elijah and Jesus, they're talking? And they were. And I can't explain it either. So then what happens? Peter. Oh, Peter. He exclaims, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what to say, for they were all terrified. And so let's first tackle this. Uh, Peter, I just get a crack out of Peter. Man, that guy is hilarious, right? Like he just starts shouting crazy things out everywhere he goes. And so I guess I can relate to his foolishness. But here's the thing. We think of Peter as always being foolish. We actually, if you're anything like me and you've heard this story a bunch of times, you think that Peter's actually about to be condemned for his foolish statement. So I, just, I wanna get that off the table. There's no reason that Peter is wrong to exclaim, it's wonderful for us to be here. Do you know why? Because it was wonderful for them to be there. I wanted to be there. It would be wonderful to be there. Jesus is dazzling white, whiter than any laundry service could make him. He's talking to Moses and Elijah. What? I would say the same thing. So let's let Peter off the hook. There's a lot of other reasons to throw Peter under the bus. This is not one of them, okay? He's not condemned for this like he was six days before when he started saying things to Jesus. In fact, after he announces this and he's like, hey, we should set up some tents and stuff. You know, he's just trying to keep the moment going. Like if you set up some shelters for all three of them, then we can all continue to hang out together at the most mountaintop of mountaintop experiences. And instead he ends up getting more of Jesus in the process. It is a good thing to say, it's wonderful to be here. When the son of God turns dazzling white right before your eyes, it's good to make the pronouncement that it's wonderful to be here anytime God reveals his divine self to us. Anytime that happens in your life, you can go, it's wonderful to be here. Good parking spot, oh, it's wonderful to be here, right? Really good food, it's wonderful to be here. Someone does something amazing, it's wonderful to be here. You do something amazing for someone else, it's wonderful to be here, you get the idea. You can actually pay attention to God's divine presence in your life over and over and over again and build a habit of exclaiming like Peter did, it is wonderful to be here. In fact, I think we should actually take that to heart and we should say it as if we're saying it to Jesus himself because every time that happens, Jesus begins to tell us more and show us more of who he is and what he has in store. Now, this is not to say we gloss over the humor that's there in verse six. He said this because he really didn't know what else to say, for they were all terrified. And again, if you just wanna, if you just wanna be a human with Peter, like just relate to that, right? I don't know if you relate to that, I do just saying nonsense because you don't know what else to do. I prepared for this though, so I promise this is not my nonsense speaking, okay? All right. You guys are fun. It's wonderful to be here. I'll just tell you that right now. All right. So theologically speaking though, right? You're like, cool, a lot of observations, Chris, that I could have made on my own. Theologically speaking though, Moses and Elijah present there 
frame, frame for us the covenant of the history of God's people, that this is always what God had in mind, that Jesus would be the embodiment of what God would come and do in this world. This is a representative of the ongoing revelation of God that was glimpsed in Moses, that was glimpsed in Elijah. A God, in fact, who is about to overshadow this little mountain party. Verse seven, then a cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. Okay, so it got wild. Jesus got all dazzling white. The famous guys of the Bible show up and they talk. But now a cloud overshadows what's going on and a voice speaks from it. So let me state the obvious, right? The cloud representative of God, I, hey, we're gonna get this, you guys. We're, we're gonna get it. Leaves no doubt this cloud does who Jesus is. And at the risk of stating the obvious too many times, who Jesus is, is the son of God who is dearly loved. Which, if you just pause for a moment, this should serve as a reminder for each one of us too, that you and me, my friends, right now at this exact instant, are dearly loved by God. That is the kind of thing that God says. He's probably wanting to say it to us. And this is such good news, in fact, that to experience the radiance of Christ's presence means that it can be reflected from Christ's followers into a world that is too often overcome by the darkness of oppression and injustice. It's not just to receive the dazzling light and keep it to yourself. That's where Peter goes wrong. It's to receive that light, that presence, and begin to reflect it into the world when you go down the mountain, because we all know when you go down the mountain, real life happens. And it's filled with injustice and oppression. And the reality is that we all actually still have to descend the mountain we don't get to stay there. So what does this require of us then? God, via his fancy cloud, has one directive. Listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. The life with Jesus is a life of active listening. And this image of the cloud and the words the voice utters are pivotal. Because this time, God speaks from the cloud to the disciples. He wants the disciples to hear him this time. Right? You might remember back at Jesus' baptism, he's coming up out of the water, and here's this voice that says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That's all it is. It's for Jesus, apparently nobody else heard it. This time, the voice speaks. This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. This time, God intends for the disciples to hear this, to hear how he speaks to Jesus and to hear how he's going to direct them to listen to this very Jesus. We, the reader, right? Those of us listening in now who have the full scope of the picture in play, we get the force of both of these moments. 
the baptism of Jesus, the mountain of Jesus's transfiguration. Our God is a God who speaks. That's why it says, listen to him, which is wild because I think we hear those three words, listen to him, and we're like, yep, cool. And then we go about our lives not believing that God wants to speak to us. God actually has something to say to each one of you. That should blow your mind. And I bet he's gonna start in the same place he starts with Jesus. You know what he's gonna say? You are dearly loved. Now, here's what I have to say. You are dearly loved. Listen to me. So what has definitively then been declared at the outset by Jesus is now at this crucial point in the story just after the recognition of Jesus' Messiahship and in light of his first clear prediction of his coming rejection, death, and resurrection, three things are kind of revealed to bring it home. This would be like the theological structure that holds it all together. We have this visible alteration of Jesus before the eyes of his disciples that demonstrates that he's more than just a human teacher. Divinity meets humanity in that moment. His association with Elijah and Moses demonstrates that he is the Messiah. It shows us his messianic role. It, this is what God has had in mind all along. And then third, we get the voice from heaven declaring his identity as the son of God. That's who Jesus is. The human and the divine are seen intertwined. And so we must listen to Jesus. Listen to what he has said in this context, that he is the Messiah who will be killed and rejected, but will rise again. And as we follow him, it will require of us, he says, to do the same, taking up our cross as he did so that we can die with him and raise to new life. That's the symbol of baptism, right? But also it's this reminder that Jesus continues to speak. We go down the mountain with Jesus and we move from spectators to witnesses. Verse nine, as they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. It's kind of simple, but I noticed this. We have to descend the mountain in order to go with Jesus. He doesn't stay there. So down we go. But hold on. Before we descend and begin the season of Lent, it's back to the nameless mountain. You forgot, didn't you? You did. No, you, Pedro remembered. All right. All right, at this point, the decision from Mark to not specify the name of this mountain takes on a new significance. I'm not gonna tell you the name of the mountain because we don't know the name of the mountain. If the name of the mountain were known, then certainly some later follower of Jesus would have built a shrine on it to commemorate it. But Mark is not interested in high places. There's a great leveling going on here with the gospel of Jesus. And the reality is that the words from God plus Jesus and his gospel, rather than the name of a high place, are the only suitable way to remember this event. The only thing you need to remember about the transfiguration 
is the words from God, who Jesus is, and the gospel and good news that he's come to bring. That's it. It doesn't need a name. Because Jesus goes down the mountain, because that's where Jesus is going to do what Jesus does. Walk with us. Show us how to be human. That's ultimately the path to that he has to go in order to die, which ironically enough ends up on another mountain, but not the mountain we like to think about joining him on. As we head into the desert wilderness, remember this. Jesus invites us to go with him. Jesus is revealed to us. Jesus speaks to us. And Jesus wants us with him. On the mountaintop or in the valley. Let's allow Jesus to speak tonight. Band, you can come on up. I want to give you an opportunity to take God in the cloud up on what he offers us, to listen to him. Now, I don't anticipate a cloud descending on us in this moment when we create some space to listen, but I do invite you to put before you in your mind's eye, Jesus, dazzling white before you, ready to speak. So let's, let's go into that place. Would you close your eyes? Would you maybe even sit in a posture that expects God to speak to you? Align our bodies and our hearts. Say, Jesus, speak. Mountain. You're sweaty and tired. You're not quite sure what's about to unfold. But you're watching. Your eyes are on Jesus. And as you watch him, he's transformed, dazzling white. And as you envision Jesus in your mind's eye right now, just for the sake of clarity and maybe our temptations to go this direction, don't envision Jesus as white. Just envision his clothes as white. His rugged face. chiseled hands, but his clothes dazzling white before you. And just in your own heart, right now in this moment, as you look at this Jesus in front of you, just say in your heart, it is wonderful to be here. It's wonderful to be here. And then look at this Jesus transformed before you and say to him, Jesus, what do you have to say to me? And listen. something in this moment, would you help us to just hear that we are dearly loved? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for joining us this evening, hearing our songs and our prayers and our conversations and our time together. May all of this have drawn us deeper into your presence, God. 
Jesus, would you meet us on the top of this moment, this mountain, if you will, but will we be reminded that you're gonna walk with us down it? In this season of Lent that is before us, a time of reflection and self-denial and fasting in the wilderness, would we be reminded, Jesus, that you invite us to follow you, that you reveal yourself to us, that you speak to us and you are with us. Love you. In the name we pray. For more resources or information about Kaleo, please visit our website at kaleophx.com or follow us on social media. If this episode has been helpful to you, let us know or share it with someone you know.